good. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. <clears throat> Lord Jesus, we're grateful tonight that we have an opportunity to, to be in your house to close out another Lord's Day, to rejoice in your answer to prayer, your answer publicly to prayer, and in many cases privately as well. And so we praise you this evening. And we ask, Lord Jesus, that uh, by your spirit that we would learn as we look at the word this evening. We pray, Father, that you would be with our children as they're practicing for the children's play and then for our youth as well as they're studying the word of God. We thank you, Lord, that you are a God that hears and answers prayer. And we pray, Father, that you'd abide and be with the ones that have been mentioned. We lift them up to you, intervene on their behalf according to your will, restore those that are uh, <clears throat> that have had surgery, and we ask that you would prepare those perhaps that would uh, undergo surgery in the next few days or weeks. We lift them up to you. We ask that you play the great physician once again in their heart and their life. And Father, we ask that as we look at the word tonight, that you would remind us of the responsibility we have to be uh, holy and royal priest for your glory and honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, Exodus chapter 4. Spent a great deal of time looking at uh, uh, chapter 3 and especially the phrase, I am that I am, because it is the, uh, as I've heard it referred to a number of times, the highest expression of Old Testament deity. It is carried forth in the New Testament. In fact, we closed out last Sunday night looking at the seven I am's in the Gospel of John. Uh, now we're moving into, uh, this is still a conversation that's taking place, or at least most of this chapter, conversation taking place with, between Moses and the Lord uh, before he takes off to go to Egypt. After the Lord corrects him, he finally gets the idea that uh, you're going to go or I'm going to send someone else, and so he changes his mind and says, hey, I'm here, I'll go. I want to read the entire chapter. The end of the chapter is kind of interesting, uh, so we won't make it there tonight, but uh, we'll start to look at what takes place. Then Moses answered and said, but suppose they will not believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose they say the Lord has not appeared to you. <clears throat> so the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? And he said, a rod. And he said, Yahweh said, cast it on the ground. So he cast it on the ground and it became a serpent. Moses fled from it. And the Lord said to Moses, reach out your hand, take it by the tail. And he reached out his hand and caught it, and it became a rod in his hand. That they may believe that the Lord God of the, your, their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Furthermore, the Lord said to him, now put your hand in your bosom. And he put his hand in his bosom, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. And he said, put your hand in your bosom again. So he put his hand in his bosom again, drew it out of his bosom, and behold, it was restored like other flesh. Then it will be, if they do not believe you, nor heed the message of the first sign, that they may believe the message of the latter sign. And it shall be, if they do not believe even these two signs, or listen to your voice, then you shall take water from the river and pour it out on the dry land. The water which you take from the river will become blood on the dry land. Then Moses said to the Lord, O oh my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither before nor since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. So the Lord said to him, 
who has made man's mouth? Or who makes the mute, the deaf, the seeing, or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you will say, what you shall say. But he said, O oh my Lord, please send by the hand of whomever else you may send. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is not Aaron the Levite your brother? I know that he can speak well, and look, he is also coming out to meet you. When he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. Now you shall speak to him, put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth, and I will teach you what you shall do. So he shall be your spokesman to the people, and he himself shall be as a mouth for you, and you shall be to him as God. And you shall take this rod in your hand, with which you shall do the signs. Now you need to mark that this particular rod goes with Moses all the way through the Exodus and is eventually placed into the Ark of the Covenant. So a reminder to the Hebrew people of what took place when God called Moses to lead them from Egypt. Verse 18, so Moses went and returned to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Please, let me go and return to my brethren who are in Egypt and see whether they are still alive. So Jethro said to Moses, Go in peace. Now the Lord said to Moses in Midian, Go return to Egypt, for all the men who sought your life are dead. Then Moses took his wife and his sons and set them on a donkey, and he returned to the land of Egypt, and Moses took the rod of God in his hand. And the Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you do all these wonders before Pharaoh, which I have put in your hand, but I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. And you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn. So I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. But if you refuse to let him go, indeed, I will kill your son, your firstborn. And it came to pass on the way at the encampment that the Lord met him and sought to kill him. Then Sipporah, his wife, took a sharp stone, cut off the foreskin of her son, cast it at Moses' feet, and said, Surely you are a husband of blood to me. So he let him go. Then she said, You are a husband of blood because of the circumcision. And the Lord said to Aaron, Go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he went and met him on the mountain of God and kissed him. So Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord that had sent him and all the signs which he had commanded him. And then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the children of Israel. And Aaron spoke all the words which the Lord had spoken to Moses. Then he did the signs in the sight of the people, so the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the children of Israel and that he had looked on their affliction, then they bowed their heads and worshipped. So quite a bit of change from uh, the end of chapter 2 through chapter 3 now into the end of chapter 4. So a lot is, has happened and a lot is happening in the life of Moses. So as we look at these uh, first uh, 17 verses, and we won't cover them all this evening, but when we begin to look at them, what we see is that when... Chapter 3, Moses has witnessed the revelation of God's name. And this is the first time that God has revealed himself to anyone uh, in this matter. And so Moses is uh, he's privileged to have an opportunity to see the 
uh, miracle of the burning bush and to hear the voice of the Lord. Now, he doesn't see the Lord. And that's important. We'll cover this again when we get to chapter 29, 30, those, those chapters. <clears throat> so he has seen the overarching nature of the one true God. He's learned that firsthand. And he has listened as God has reiterated to him his purposes for choosing Moses. Now remember, Moses is writing this. So he's writing in such a manner as to recall what the Spirit of God is giving him. And chapter 3 uh, that he recorded, uh, I'm sure Moses is thinking back to what takes place there uh, at the foot of Mount Horb or Mount Sinai. And when he gets to chapter 4, he begins to reflect on, uh, on his uh, recalcitrant attitude, his uh, I don't want to do this attitude. He is being rebellious. And we don't think of Moses that way, but there are several times in Scripture that Moses, we find that Moses is rebellious, and not only rebellious, but very rebellious. He will lose his life because he disobeys God. So the first 17 verses, Moses records his objections. Go back to verse 11 of chapter 3. That's his first one. And Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Now Moses had been basically a shepherd, albeit um, a successful shepherd. He was uh, under the tutelage of Jethro, his father-in-law. Uh, but he's still been a shepherd for a number of years. So he's been out of the uh, out of the limelight, so to speak, for over 40 years. Been a prince of Egypt. He had everything at his disposal. Uh, and now, essentially, he, he God is saying, I want you to go back and stand before Pharaoh as a shepherd. And then the Lord tells him, he says, everyone that sought your life is now dead. So one of the reasons that the Lord took the time to prepare Moses was so that the people that perhaps had witnessed Moses killing uh, the Egyptian or the Egyptians themselves or the Pharaoh, we learned that Pharaoh also knew that Moses had killed uh, an Egyptian and sought his life, that all of this now was behind him. So the Lord has taken care of all of the circumstances and their ramifications for Moses. And so Moses is doing a very Baptist thing. He's not thinking. So in these objections that we see, these first 17 verses, he is very much like Adam and Eve. Um, Eve, of course, saying that... Uh, uh, she took of the fruit, she ate it, she gave it to, to Adam, and he ate it, and then all hell breaks loose, so to speak. So he is very much like Adam and Eve, and this is the nature. We all are very much like Adam and Eve. We want things our way. We want things purposed in a certain way. We want things done in a certain way, perhaps, or we just don't want to do them. So in that case, we are very much like Adam and Eve. We doubt we question, we deflect what God has truly said. And so we see that correction, and God is uh, merciful in his correction of Moses uh, because Moses is the one that he has chosen 
Moses didn't volunteer. I meant to mention, and I will mention this next Sunday morning, the tribe of Levi, and both Moses and Aaron are from the tribe of Levi. And we will see that Moses was essentially a priest and prophet. And we will find that none of the tribe of Levi volunteered to be a priest. Moses doesn't volunteer, neither does Aaron. God chooses them to be priests, just as he chose Moses to lead them. So he, in these first nine verses, Moses begins the, the litany of the rebellious conversation that he has with the Lord. But suppose they will not believe me or listen to my voice. Uh, the Lord had already told Moses, they're going to listen to you. Look at verse 18 of chapter 3. <clears throat> Then, you, then they will heed your voice. It's talking about the Hebrew people. They will heed your voice. And you shall come, you and the elders of Israel, to the king of Egypt, and you shall say to him, The Lord God of the Hebrews has met with us, and now please let us go three days' journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. So the Lord had, had told Moses, Listen. They're going to listen to you. The Hebrew children are going to listen to you. And I didn't say that everything was going to go smoothly between you and Pharaoh. But I'm going to give you some examples. And that's what we see in these uh, verses. So what Moses is essentially saying in these, uh, <clears throat> these first nine verses is, Lord, what if you're wrong? And we think that way sometimes, don't we? Well, what if the Lord is wrong? What if the Lord makes a mistake? Now, here's an interesting reply. Look, if you would, at verse 11. So the Lord said to him, Who's made man's mouth? Or who makes the mute? Now, we don't think that, do we? Well, that's some genetic disposition. That's some surgical thing. Who makes the mute? Who makes the deaf? Who makes the seeing or the blind? So we're beginning to see uh, a, an, unf an unfolding of God's sovereignty in a way that many people push back on. Well, if God was truly a God of love, he wouldn't, we wouldn't have mute people, we wouldn't have deaf people, we wouldn't have blind people. Well, that's not what we see here. In fact, Jesus would say in the New Testament, often when he would heal people, he said, this malady is not due to any sin that this person has committed, but rather that God's glory be revealed through him, through them. So Jesus corrects in the New Testament the inerrant thinking of the tribe of Israel and his disciples, and the Lord here is correcting the inerrant thinking of Moses. That is God's responsibility, and the Lord does a great job of it, of correcting our inerrant, uh, our mistakes about him, our lies about him. That's basically what uh, Moses is saying. What if you're wrong? That's a lie. God's never wrong. So Moses, we see here, he's, he's 
Moses is humble. It was one of his great uh, attributes. He doesn't take any confidence in his flesh. I, he really doesn't want to do this thing. And Philippians chapter 3 talks about not having any confidence in the flesh. Paul talks about it uh, in the great uh, book of Philippians. But he is indication, uh, indicating, okay, he doesn't have any confidence in himself, but he's lacking confidence in God as well. I've seen that in my life. Uh, no doubt if you're a believer, you've seen it in your life. So the Lord, this is a teaching moment. We talk about teaching moments with, with children, grandchildren, and so forth. Wives, you talk about teaching moments with your husbands. So they're always teaching moments, and that's what we see here. The Lord is correcting Moses uh, in er his errant, rather not inerrant, but his errant thinking. All right, next slide. So remember, over a short period of time, Moses has witnessed the burning bush. He's listened to the voice of God. He has been witness to Yahweh's revelation. Uh, and this is not a time or a place for Moses to interject, but uh, similar to Adam and Eve. That wasn't the time or place for them to interject a but or say, the woman that you gave me, she made me sin. It was a time and place for repentance. And that's what the Lord was looking for in Adam and Eve. And that's Moses sort of half-heartedly does that. Now, toward the end of the chapter, the circumcision issue is something that Moses apparently had not even thought about. And yet his wife had to bail him out because the Lord sought him. This was a sign of the Hebrew people. He's going back to Hebrews. So it ought to, it's probably a good idea that you have your son circumcised. We'll see that as we go through. Sometimes we interrupt God with our, but Lord, when called to exercise our spiritual gifts. Remember the story of Jonah? What a great, great prophet in the Old Testament. And how that the Lord told him to go to Nineveh, which was a huge, at the time, one of the largest pagan cities in the world. Um, Jonah would record it took at least three days to, to walk across the city. So huge. And the Lord said, Arise, Jonah, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it. And so Jonah says, But he goes the other way. Well, just as with Moses, the Lord moved the circumstances to adjust to Jonah. And he will do that. If the Lord has called us to do something specifically, he'll change the circumstances. And that's okay because that's who he is. So, verses 2 through 5, chapter 4. The Lord begins a series of miracles. <clears throat> and the miracles that he performs is in conjunction with Moses as a person. And so he asked Moses, that's, Moses had a shepherd's rod, and what's in your hand? And so Moses says, uh, a rod. If you go back to verse 20 of chapter 3, 
He says, so I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all my wonders, which I will do in its midst, and after that he will let you go. So now he's giving Moses some examples of what is going to take place, or some examples of not only his, um, his overarching sovereignty, but of his omnipotence. Now, we think about these things, and we look at them, and we say, well, hmm, that's interesting. Uh, we'll find these later on. Moses uses these very same things before Pharaoh. So the first sign, he says, take your rod, cast it on the ground. And it becomes a snake. Well, okay, so it's a snake. But it is what he tells Moses to do that is interesting. Look, he says, reach out your hand, verse 4, and take it by the tail. What's the most dangerous part of the snake to touch? Do you know? To try to lift it or try to move it, what, what would be the most dangerous part? The tail. When we first moved into the house that we built several years ago, um, I was uh, unwinding a a uh, faucet on the outside of the house and there was a little black snake that had uh, coiled inside of the hose. And so to be smart, I reached down to grab the, um, and I had some shears in my hand as well. So I reached down with the shears and I hit the black snake in the middle. Do you know how fast the snake is? They are a lot faster than you are. And the snake wasn't that long, maybe a foot, maybe 18 inches. But it whipped around and it bit me right here. And so I'm shaking the thing off and I'm taking the shears and finally I cut it in two. And that didn't do any good because he still latched onto my hand. So I just kind of reached and grabbed what was left of it and pulled it off. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us that it's a viper, but where Moses is, is where uh, pit vipers congregate in the desert. So Moses reaches down, and this is a dangerous thing to do, but here we begin to see Moses' trust in the Lord. And so he does. He reached out his hand, he caught it, and it turned back to a rod. Now, if Moses had not done this, really doesn't, it doesn't matter. There are no, no uh, uh, converse thoughts to this as it is. So that's the first thing. And he uses what Moses had. That's important for you and I to understand. God uses what, who we are. It's important that we get education. It's important that we do all of these things. But God uses who we are. He can use your experience. He can use your background. He can use your voice. He can use your contacts. He uses all of these. And so this is what he's doing with Moses. It is interesting that God could have called Moses when he was a prince, but he didn't. 
So Moses now has a shepherd's rod, which is indicative of the calling that the Lord was going to give him. And so instead of a royal scepter, it's a plain and simple shepherd's rod. Now we'll cover these, the last four on this particular slide and then we'll close for this evening. But God uses what we have. Turn with me to Judges chapter 3. The Lord doesn't say, Moses, go down to the five and dime. Go to the dollar store and buy a lightsaber or something of that nature. I'm going to really, really show you what's going on. No, he just uses a stick. My youngest brother, Paul, when he was a kid, he had favorite sticks. And so he would go around the yard and out in the woods and he would find a stick and that would become his favorite stick. And so his two favorite brothers enjoyed finding his favorite stick and breaking it because that's what brothers do. Um, I was never guilty of that. It was always John, not, not myself. But uh, God uses what we have. Look at verse 31. After him, talking about the, the judges here, um, after him was Shamgar, the son of Anath, who killed 600 men of the Philistines with an ox goad, and he also delivered Israel. So God used what was in Shamgar's hand. Now this was before Samson. But look at chapter 15. <clears throat> Vance has taught us about Samson uh, a few uh, weeks ago. Look at chapter 15 and verse 15. Um, look at verse 14. When he came to Lehi, the Philistines came shouting against him. Then the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and the ropes that were on his arms became flax like that is burned with fire. His bonds broke loose from his hands. He found a fresh jawbone of a donkey, reached out his hand, took it, killed a thousand men with it. And Samson had a little riddle with the jawbone of a donkey, heaps upon heaps with the jawbone of a donkey. I have slain a thousand men. So God used what was in Samson's hand. He also used what was in David's hand. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 17. A familiar passage of scripture to us. <clears throat> this is, of course, <clears throat> David and Goliath, verse 48. And so it was when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David that David hurried and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and he slung it and struck the Philistine in, the, in his forehead so that the stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. God used what David had learned and become skilled with to kill Goliath. And because of that, eventually, David would be named king of Israel. Turn to John chapter 6. This is found, again, in all four of the Gospels, but let's look specifically at John chapter 6. 
Now, the great thing about the feeding of the 5,000 or the feeding of the 4,000, both of those miracles are recorded in the, uh, in the Gospels. And <clears throat> Jesus himself uh, is teaching and the people are weary, verse 4. Now the Passover feast of the Jews was near. Jesus lifted up his eyes, seeing a great multitude coming toward him. He said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread that these may eat? But this he said to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii, or basically almost a year's salary, is not worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may have a little. One of his uh, disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a lad here, it's five barley loaves and two small fish, but what are they among so many? Now, the Lord could have created food out of thin air. That's, but the purpose, the Lord never did that. He never did something that uh, mundane. Let's put it that way. The Lord used what had already been made in each of these circumstances and with Moses. It had already been made. He could have created a rod or created a snow, whatever. But he uses what is available. And so the kid has five bows and two fish, and then, of course, the Lord takes these, tells the disciples, organize the people, because God is orderly. Organize the people, and he took the loaves, he thanked them, he distributed them to the disciples. The Lord didn't feed them, the disciples fed them. And then we're told the story, of course, that they fed the ones that were there, and uh, collected uh, what was left over. So one of the great takeaways from Exodus chapter 4 and from each of these passages, and there are others in the Bible as well, but from each of these passages is the fact that the Lord uses what we have, okay? Our abilities that the Lord has already given to us. Moses had these abilities but they were given to him by the Lord. Sometimes we forget that. So, any comments or questions? What we've covered this evening. Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord Jesus, we thank you tonight for this passage of Scripture. We thank you of your working in and through the life of Moses. We can look back now and, and see what is unfolding probably 4,000 or more years ago. And what took place there on, at the foot of Mount Sinai, Mount Horeb. Also, Father, you used to bring these captive people, these slaves, out of a land that was hostile to them into a land that they would have to conquer. It was not given to them without their involvement. And so when you call us to do something, Lord Jesus, it's not you call us to do something that is going to require labor on our part. Teach us that this evening. And teach us faith from the life of Moses. In Jesus' name we pray.